0: Baseball has never been a priority. It's just something that I, I wanna do, I wanted to do, but it's ne- it was never like a thing that I had to do. It was just something I loved to do. You'll see a lot of guys getting followed around with cameras a lot, doing a lot of things. And a lot of it you can't really help, but I try to minimize it for me personally as much as I can so that you know I'm, I'm no better than anyone in this room, anyone in this town, anyone anywhere.
1: Welcome to SC Featured. I'm Jen Latta. That is Chicago Cubs all-star first baseman Anthony Rizzo. You've probably seen him making the late-night talk show rounds, even twerking on Saturday Night Live in the wake of the Cubs' historic World Series win. There's no doubt the Cubs' success has propelled Anthony into the spotlight. He finished fourth in MVP voting in 2016. It's actually proven to be a weird reality for a guy who loves winning, craves it in fact, but isn't so sure about the stardom that comes with it. Part of that reluctance is where he comes from, both how he was raised and where he was raised. Parkland, Florida, is a quiet residential town, one neighborhood after another. It's actually closer to the Everglades than the beach, a place where a kid's competitive streak was honed and encouraged.
2: His parents, John and Lori, saw it early on. When he learned to ride a bike, he was three. There was no way he was coming in the house until he could ride that bike never got bored until he could accomplish what he was trying to do.
3: Three years old, riding a bike, what a guy.
2: Did that allowed?
3: Yeah, be careful. I bought him a pitching machine when he was five. So and he wanted to be a catcher. He was a lefty catcher. And he turned his head. He, this is not child abuse. So the next day, I duct taped him to the, to the fence with all his catcher's gear on. And shot balls to his helmet. So after that, he wouldn't turn his head. As a matter of fact, after that, he liked it. He said to me, Dad, get the duck tape." But I only did that once.
1: Rizzo went on to have a successful high school baseball career. So successful, in fact, that he was drafted by the Boston Red Sox in 2007 in the sixth round. ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney had a chance to talk to the Red Sox on the day of the draft.
4: The day that the Red Sox took Anthony Rizzo, I remember talking with a Red Sox official who said, this kid has the best mental makeup of any player we've ever seen. He has the best leadership skills of any player we've ever seen.
1: The next spring, Anthony was in Greenville, South Carolina with the Red Sox single-A squad. He was performing well,
2: but he wasn't feeling well. Before he left for spring training, he didn't feel good. And not that he didn't feel good, he kept, he kept saying something's wrong, and he kind of knew it. And when he got to when he when he finally went to play ball in season, he called and he said that his stomach hurt, and that he couldn't go to the bathroom. So then a few days later, he told me his legs were swelling up and he gained weight. And then we got the call that he they took him to the emergency room because his legs were so swollen from his ankles to his thighs, and he had gained like 20 pounds in two weeks' time, so they took him to be treated at Mass General to to see what was wrong.
0: You know, I'm on top of the world, I'm playing baseball, all my friends are going to college and I just got a signing bonus, so I was on, invincible. I was 18 years old, I was invincible. And boom, cancer, you're shut down.
2: After a lot of testing, they found out that he had Hodgkin's lymphoma. What
1: were you feeling in that moment?
2: Everything, just couldn't even believe it. It was just, it was probably the worst day of my life. The worst feeling, the worst, the worst call you could ever get as a parent to hear those words were just, it, it just wasn't real.
0: From the second that I was a quote unquote cancer patient, I said to everyone, do not treat me like that. Treat me the same. And everyone did a pretty good job at that.
1: How did he handle it?
3: He handled it good. In the beginning, he was scared, but he handled it really well. And one good thing about his character was he noticed how crazy everybody else was going.
1: You're just 18. Why did you feel like you had to be strong for everyone around you?
0: Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's just I, I feel like I didn't want to be a, that cancer patient, which, which unfortunately people are, you know, in the hospitals. And I wanted to be a normal person. And a lot of advice I got from that was from John Lester, who was like, he just said, hey, go and be yourself. Don't let doctors tell you that you can't do certain things. And obviously you have to respect the doctors and know your limitations, but on days I felt good, maybe I wasn't supposed to be in the sun. Well, I'd go to the beach and put a lot of sunscreen on, wear a hat and make sure I was covered in shade, but I'd still be at the beach with my friends and maybe I wasn't as quick and you know, quick on my feet, but I was still doing things that I enjoyed to do
1: you think that made a difference?
0: I think big time because if I don't get out of the house, you know, there's days where I'm locking myself in my room and playing video games and just drinking milkshakes and eating brownies and subs all day, which is the only thing that tasted good at the time. But the days I felt good, I would try to get up and get out and go to the gym and just do something just to get my joints moving.
1: Just months before Anthony was diagnosed, high school yearbooks had been handed out at his school. Underneath his senior picture, Anthony had added a quote from legendary Green Bay Packers head coach Vince Lombardi. It said, It's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. A quote that would guide Anthony through his cancer diagnosis and his baseball career. We'll be right back. Welcome back to SC Featured, I'm Jen Latta. In April of 2008, Anthony Rizzo was a first base prospect in the Boston Red Sox organization. He was also undergoing six months of chemotherapy to treat Hodgkin's lymphoma, a form of cancer. In September, he and his parents, John and Lori, were on their way to South Florida when they got a call from the doctors saying that Anthony was cancer free.
5: We were on the
0: plane and my mom gets the call and she starts screaming right before we take off and like the flight attendant's like, you need to sit down. So that was a really good feeling um, for everyone. I still had to go through two more months of chemo, which wasn't fun, especially when you know you're in remission, but you have to still go through chemo. It was uh, a giant weight off your shoulder, a really sense of relief, sense of encouragement, uh, just so many different emotions.
1: Another person interested in Anthony's recovery from cancer was then Red Sox pitcher and fellow cancer survivor John Lester. The two had met at Fenway Park shortly after Anthony was diagnosed. Hall of Fame journalist Peter Gammons, who has covered the Red Sox for decades, remembers Lester getting the good news.
3: Anthony had gone to the instructional. He still wasn't that strong yet. He was just really starting to get himself back in baseball shape in the instructional league. So on the last day of the Instructional League, Theo Epstein came out to the uh, cage where the the Red Sox were hitting and told me, uh, hey, uh, I just wanted great news. Last at bat of the Instructional League, Anthony Rizzo got his first hit since he was diagnosed. So I went down the right field line and called Lester in from the outfield where he was standing and watching fly balls come out and that kind of thing. I told him... You know, I said, hey, this is great news, and I think you'll be really happy. Anthony Rizzo got his first hit since being diagnosed and was in the last and bat of the instructional. Lester took off, ran into the clubhouse, and called Anthony right there. I think one of the things that is so remarkable about seeing Jason McLeod, Jed Hoyer, and everything, is that they understood that bond that the two of them have.
1: Anthony Rizzo returned to baseball, but when the Red Sox brass trio of Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer, and Jason McLeod split up, with Jed and Jason going out to San Diego, Anthony was traded to the Padres in late 2010. According to McLeod, he struggled.
0: He almost overdid it a lot, where he was tinkering way too much. You would see, you know, over the span of a week, you might see f- three or four different batting stances. You might see him starting his hands in different places throughout the course of a game sometimes, uh, where it was just too much.
1: Once again, here's ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney.
4: So there are a lot of expectations for Rizzo when he got to the big leagues with the Padres, and he was a mess at the plate. He could not handle inside fastballs to the degree that I actually was hearing from executives with other teams Look, he's not going to be able to function as a major leaguer unless he solves that problem.
1: It would actually work out for Anthony. Eventually, the GM who sent him away, Theo Epstein, landed on the north side of Chicago. He reunited with Jed and Jason, and one of Epstein's first moves of the 2012 season was reacquiring Anthony.
5: Oftentimes, when you you get somewhere new, you want your first big trade to be for someone you're familiar with and someone that you trust, not only as a player, but as a person. One thing we know about Anthony is that he responds the right way to adversity, and that's the single most important characteristic, I think, for for baseball players.
1: It was early in Anthony's Cubs career that he demonstrated the type of leadership the Cubs would come to need from him for years to come. David Kaplan has been a Cubs broadcaster for more than three decades. He also hosts a radio show on ESPN 1000.
5: They were playing the Reds. Aroldis Chapman and the Reds they there a better team at that point. The Cubs aren't very good. But they're starting to add pieces in their minor leagues. And this threw over the head of a Cubs player. I think it was Nate Sheerholtz. Inning ends. Anthony goes out to his position. And he, you could tell he is seething. And all of a sudden, he throws his glove down. This is before the inning starts. He goes over to the Reds' dugout. And he challenges all 25 guys to a fist fight. He goes, come on. Let's go. You want to throw at one of my guys? You're going to have to deal with me all of a sudden, the bench is empty, and they're holding him back. And at that moment, I went, boy, this guy's got some big-time guts. And after the game, he said, you are not going to do that to this team. We may not be very good right now, but I am always going to have everybody's back. And from that point on, he's become Chris Bryant's the MVP. Anthony has become the leader in that clubhouse.
1: Rizzo has blossomed with the Cubs. In 2016, he had 32 home runs and 109 RBI, helping the Cubs win a league-best 103 games and play in their first World Series since World War
5: II. The 0-1, and Rizzo sends one to deep right field. No doubt about it. A monster shot for Anthony Rizzo. A two-run homer, a little bit of insurance to make it 9-2.
1: The Cubs came back from down three games to one to win their first championship since 1908. And remember that Lombardi quote from the yearbook about getting back up? The World Series win would mark the realization of another quote that Anthony wrote while in high school. What did your senior baseball program say next to your name?
0: What I wanted to accomplish in life was win a state championship, win a national championship in baseball, play professional baseball, and then win a World Series championship. Accomplished one of those. The big one. The big one. The biggest one of all time.
1: When you think back to that kid who wrote that, what would he have to say about your journey and what you've accomplished?
0: Keep going. Keep keep pushing. I'm not satisfied. And we're at the, the beach this morning, and I'm saying to myself when we're done, do we do enough work? And I always say that to my strength coaches, and I'm like, am I working hard enough? And we're, we're putting on the work for sure, but I always feel like, God, I I could probably do more, and I always try to push myself to do more, and that's what I want to keep doing is just stay the same but keep keep doing it.
1: The Cubs win has propelled Anthony Rizzo to another level of stardom, as we found out when we tagged along with him at the Cubs' annual Fan Fest in Chicago. It has also allowed him to expand the reach of his foundation. Started in 2012, the Anthony Rizzo Family Foundation has raised more than $2.5 million to support families affected by cancer. During Cubs Fest, Anthony scheduled time to meet with cancer patients in a private room. This young patient is being held by his dad when he meets his baseball hero.
0: What do you have that Anthony has? Yeah. Yeah, we're in the same club? Yeah. You want so. to know your you're need to meet me.
2: <gasps> That's true. Isn't that awesome?
1: This is one of the more fascinating realities of Anthony Rizzo. He's very much a reluctant superstar. He understands the reality of being a professional baseball player and captain of the World Series champs. He understands there is a benefit and a platform that comes along with his profession. But he's very conscious about not allowing that to affect who he is and how he carries himself. He talked about that when we were driving around his hometown of Parkland, Florida.
0: When I was came up my first couple of years and we had, would go out to a couple of places. I remember like specifically a guy like we walk in and like there's a line so he, he walked to the front and he told like he said to the bouncer, "You do know who I am? I play for the Cubs." You going like and I I went into like a turtle shell. I felt so awkward.
1: At the beginning of this episode, we heard Anthony say that baseball was never his priority. But what does that mean really? How can you be so good and so dedicated without it being a priority? I asked him that question. Explain that to me. So this is your career, this is your job, but it sounds like, on a macro sense, you don't identify yourself as a baseball player? Explain this.
0: I mean, I'm the baseball player at Wrigley, at the field, and then I try to be Anthony away from it. And that's really hard to do. There's times where I'll take the field back home, and I think the more experience I get playing baseball and every year I do a better job at trying to separate as best as I can. But I try to be a baseball player when I'm at the field and just me away from the field. And I really try to keep a fine line of that.
1: Buster, you and I have talked about Anthony being a bit of a reluctant superstar. It's interesting because when he was at his lowest point in his life, when he was dealing with cancer, he just wanted to be treated like Anthony. He didn't want to be treated like a cancer patient. And then now he is this baseball superstar, you know, one of the leaders of the World Series champion Cubs, and he just wants to be treated like Anthony. How does that attitude benefit him in the league?
4: Well, first off, it's uh, it's an attitude that will get him a lot of respect of teammates because, you know, this when you're in a clubhouse and you have a guy who's very much look at me, that drives teammates crazy. And on the other hand, if you are not trying to put yourself out there, teammates trust you. They have a higher regard for you. And the neat thing about Anthony Rizzo, look, as a reporter, you'd love uh, to walk up to him, put a camera in his face and have him put on a show. But when you walk up to Anthony and there's no camera going, you have great conversations and you turn on a camera, you turn on a microphone and you can see it in his face like, OK, I'm going to do this because it's my job. But he's not wild about it because he knows that probably other players in the clubhouse don't want him to uh, put himself out there. They want him to maintain uh, humility. And I I think he does that very naturally.
1: We're joined now by Jeff Asiello, ESPN feature producer of the Anthony Rizzo feature we put together. We had a great time following him around Chicago and Parkland, Florida. But I was wondering if there was anything that stood out to you that demonstrates this reluctant superstar we've been talking about.
6: Well, Jenna, I think you'd agree the moment that's... Struck me was when we were leaving the high school, and we'd been in the car with him for about a half hour, 45 minutes. He'd been fun, he'd been talking, initiating a lot of interesting sound, showing us his hometown, and and it was really loose with everything. We went to the high school, met an old friend of his, and it was a very loose and fun environment. And when we got back into the car, I asked him if we could go to his favorite sandwich shop. Uh, We'd been there the day before, and we'd noticed that there was a smoothie named after him, and we thought this would be a fun opportunity. Uh, to be with Anthony and have the smoothie made and have him talk about it. And immediately, a guard went up that we hadn't seen. And he s- agreed to drive over there. But when we got there, he said, let me go in first and check and see if the manager's there. And when he came back out, he said, manager isn't here. I don't feel comfortable going in. Now, we'd been there the day before, and we would cleared it with the manager. We knew that wasn't going to be an issue. But it wasn't something that you know we wanted to push. Uh, and you could tell that Anthony was drawing a line there—a line that we hadn't seen. You know, there was a a comfort level you could see with Anthony when he was playing pool or golf with his friends or family, or hanging out with his girlfriend, or playing, you know, the piano and drums with his dad. He was very at ease. But when we asked him to walk into a public place where he's not necessarily going to know all the people in the re- you know, in the sandwich shop. That was clear that he was telling us this is an example of I don't want to be bigger or better than anyone in this community.
1: I also saw the reluctance with him when we were discussing his cancer diagnosis. And this is certainly a large part of Anthony Rizzo's story, but it's almost reluctantly so. When we were talking to him, he was very open, as you mentioned, and comfortable with discussing a lot of the facets of his life, his upbringing, and then his struggles even on the baseball field. But it did feel like there was a wall up regarding cancer as well, almost as though he didn't want to dive fully back into those dark days. And maybe that is just a human reaction, right? A defense mechanism where you don't want to have to go back into some of the most difficult things you've been through. But he also has the perspective, and this is similar to baseball, where he knows that having been a cancer patient means he can benefit and affect a ton of other people who are in the same boat positively. So he allows himself to be identified as a cancer patient because of what it means to all of these people he's helping with his foundation.
6: There's no doubt we saw the same line that he initially drew moments after he got the diagnosis. I don't want to be a cancer patient. I don't want people to pity me. I don't want people to feel sorry for me. And he's taken that to a different level in the way and you see that the way that he treats cancer patients now, whether it's a 10-year-old kid or a 27-year-old woman, it's it's jokes. It's he's at ease. He wants to treat them the way he wanted people to treat him. And cancer's obviously part of the equation, but he doesn't want to treat these people like they're victims or like they're cancer patients.
1: One of the more fascinating things about Anthony Rizzo's story is all of these parallels that we've seen throughout his life. We talked about the yearbook quote. We talked about the senior quote. The yearbook quote, of course, being the Lombardi quote of, you know, it's not how you fall down or it's not how many times you fall down, but it's how you get back up. And it reminded me again of this incredible story that you've seen going around before game 7 of the world series where anthony had kind of done this rocky shadow boxing scene in the locker room to loosen everybody up to have fun to you know get guys motivated before this big game and how one of the guys on his team had come over and sprayed him in the junk with some shoe polish, and he got real angry about it and kind of threw himself in the shower so that he wouldn't get angry in this very critical moment before the team. And what did David Ross say to him when he was in the shower cleaning the shoe polish off of his privates?
6: It's amazing. It was right on cue, but he said, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up again. And I think that story tells us so much about what makes Anthony a great leader and a great player. I mean, obviously the competitive fire, in him to uh, to react that way when a teammate did that to him, but also the fun-loving, easygoing nature um, that makes it easy for him to get along with, you know, all of his teammates, his friends back home, his mom and dad. And to be honest, just with you and I and our camera crew and the days that we spent with him in Chicago and Parkland, he's very at ease uh, dealing with people.
1: And to be a fantastic representative for the World Series champion Chicago Cubs for You know, as long as they'll have him. Jeff Asiello, feature producer of the Anthony Rizzo SC Featured story. Thank you so much. On the next episode of SC Featured, while on a journey to complete an ambitious bucket list of 100 things, Australian adventurer Sebastian Terry discovers true happiness at an unexpected list item. Number 26, Help a Stranger.
5: I think this switch from focusing on myself to focusing on other people happened when I met Mark. And at that time, I'd helped myself enough. And uh, the first person I helped was Mark. And from that moment on, I haven't stopped helping other people.
1: Want to make sure to thank our guests today, Buster Olney, Peter Gammons, and David Kaplan. And thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Jen Latta.